Morning, Door Creek. Good to be with you all. If you're a guest, my name's Mark, one of the pastors. Really glad that you're here today. And uh, we are back in Romans, but we're going to finish right before Easter. And right after Easter, we're going to do Roadblocks Part 2, okay? So we'll do another five Roadblocks after Easter. So um, before we get into Romans today, let me just catch you up and give you a big shout out and thanks for continually investing through your prayer and your serving and your giving into just kids' lives. So on the north side, right, our newest campus that opened last September, we just launched this last week the first of hopefully a lot more things that are going on to help kids and families thrive. So it's a STEM program that stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. And we've got 12 kids in the pilot program, middle schoolers, from some of the surrounding schools on the north side there. And uh, we received this wonderful grant from Illinois State University who heard about our program and said, well, we got these really cool muscle cars and they donated four of these cars. And so teams of kids along with their parents are working on these cars and they're gonna be racing them and we're off and starting and it's exciting. And I just wanna say thanks for investing in the ministries here that continues to reach kids, not just on the north side, but up into forest right here hundreds of kids that are part of the ministry here. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so here's the question as we kind of jump back into Romans. I want you to think about the kind of the concept is power. And I want you to think about what is the greatest power? What is the greatest force in play today on the planet? What's the most powerful force on planet Earth today? And how do you think people might answer that question? I know there's some people who are going to say, well, sex, love, it's super powerful. I'm guessing a few people might say money, greed, super powerful. I got a friend in insurance, he says, the weather, big deal, man, changes stuff. And lately we'd say, yeah, weather's really powerful. Uh, is it the idea, an ideal of democracy? What is it? Let me suggest that the Bible will make it very clear. It doesn't stutter on this issue. The most powerful force on the planet is not a thing. It's a person. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, who is at work in creation, who is at work in Jesus' resurrection, and who the Bible says can live and does live in a believer's life. So we're going to do a deep dive on the Holy Spirit. It's not usually a subject that we talk about enough. And we're going to learn a lot more about the, the role of the Spirit, the power that he brings into a believer's life, and then what it looks like to be kind of connected to that power and to grow in what the Bible talks about, the fullness of the Spirit or keeping in step with the Spirit or living in accordance with the Holy Spirit. So my guess is right now, there's an area in your life where you're looking for a greater power. Where you go, man, I, I don't have what it takes right now. I'm, I'm looking for something more. I think there are all kinds of people looking for greater power. And today, God's word brings us to consider the power of the Holy Spirit. So just a little background before we jump into chapter eight. What did the people in Rome 2,000 years ago know about the Holy Spirit? from the Old Testament scriptures that they had, from the, the Apostle Paul and what he taught, from 
the, the gospels that were starting to circulate about Jesus and his ministry and his teaching, what did they know 2,000 years about the Spirit? The first thing they knew is the Spirit was there at creation. Genesis 1 verse 2 makes that abundantly clear that, that the Spirit is involved in creation and giving life. Now the earth was formless and empty. Genesis 1 2 starts. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit was there. We know this as we read through the Old Testament that it's at certain times with certain individuals for certain tasks to be done, God gave his Spirit to leaders like Bezalel and Aholilab, the first people to receive the Spirit so that they could design and and be artisans and craftsmen to create all the different parts of the tabernacle, this place where God met with his people and God resided. We know that some of the leaders like Samson and King David and King Saul, they had the spirit. We know that the prophets would speak for God because they had the spirit. We know that the prophets predicted and prophesied that one day God's spirit would be poured out on all God's people, not just on some people at some time for certain specific reasons. Like in Isaiah 44, 3, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, God says, and my blessing on your descendants. So they had a framework of the spirit. Jesus, his life, points the spirit as well. Remember Mary is conceived by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that Jesus is fully God and fully man. God's son, Mary's son. At his baptism, Jesus receives the Holy Spirit, descends upon him. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he's fasting and praying. And he's, you know, in this great spiritual conflict with the enemy, with the devil. He comes out of that full of the Spirit. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he ministers in the power of the Spirit, miracles, his teaching, and it's evident. He teaches about the Spirit. He says to his disciples, you're going to receive the Spirit of truth, and he's going to lead you into the truth. And when you baptize people who are now my followers, remember to baptize them not just in the name of the Father and my name, but also in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Paul, his own life and testimony from Acts chapter 9, his life was transformed by the Spirit. And throughout these first opening chapters, he's been talking about the Spirit. And now on the heels of chapter 7, to kind of remind us where were we many weeks ago when we left off at chapter 7, we were at that place where Paul is struggling and reflecting on his struggles with he's got the spirit in his life, he's got the forgiveness and he's been made right, but he still struggles with sin. And in the midst of struggling with sin, his hope is that Christ gives him the victory. And so that's right where he's come and he gets into chapter eight. So grab your Bibles and Acts in Romans chapter eight as we pick up the story. So, uh, Romans, towards the back of your Bibles, after the book of Acts, before 1 Corinthians. If you're new to the Bible, table of contents. You'll see it under the New Testament. Sixth book of the New Testament, all right? So in Romans chapter 8. Hey, a reminder. Do you guys remember that there's a Romans forum this coming Saturday? Dr. Doug Moo, the preeminent Roman scholar living today, like in the entire world. 
He's not going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you that. He, he knows Romans. He's taught Romans all over the world. And when I stack his books up, they're like this thick. He's really, really gifted, but he's really humble. And so like you're going, I don't do that kind of thing. That sounds too academic. It's not going to be too academic. It's going to be stuff where we can just get it off the bottom shelf, help us grow our love for God and what it means to love our neighbor better. So join us this Saturday, 9 till 2. If you can only make the morning, just come for the morning. All right, you there? Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh, that is Jesus, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you, speaking of our future resurrection bodies. All right, so the Holy Spirit is part of what we call the Trinity. Let me just do a little background here. The Trinity, you're not going to find that word in the Bible. But the teaching is there throughout the Bible. And the teaching goes like this. God has revealed himself as one God. There's one God. But he exists in three persons, eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three equally fully God. How many gods? One God. How many persons? Three persons. Eternally, fully, equal. Can, can our rational minds get around that fully? No. That is a mystery. How does that work? And any metaphor we have for the Trinity breaks down. Like I'm a father and I'm a son and I'm, a, I'm one person, but I'm three. No, it, it just breaks down. But this is a clear teaching. So we're, we're coming to a fuller understanding here of the role of the spirit in a believer's life. He's just said, if you have Christ, you have the spirit. If you don't have the spirit, it's because you don't have Christ. So when we placed our faith in Christ, what, what happens? What is the Spirit doing in a believer's, in a Christ follower's life? And the first thing we know in the text, verse 2, is he gives life. 
Well, that's not a big surprise because Genesis 1-2, like the second verse of the Bible, there is the Spirit giving life, bringing this whole world and life into existence from nothing. So the life he's giving here, though, is spiritual. Our former life, he calls it this life of the flesh, which has to do with kind of the natural way that we are, apart from God's work of grace in our life and heart. And so it's doing life for ourselves, kind of without God. That, that former life, that's all about death. The Spirit moves us from being spiritually, not physically dead, spiritually dead, to being alive. So he talks about when and how that happens. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, there's faith, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So when we hear the word of truth, the gospel of God's love for us in Christ, and when we believe that, then what happens is God sends, Christ sends his spirit in our lives, in our hearts, so to speak, and he gives us new hearts, new life. We didn't have that before. We were flatlined dead But now we have a heart that beats for God. And it's not a renewed heart. It's a brand new heart. Remember Jesus talked about, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can I do that? I can't be born again. What are you talking about? Can't jump back into my mother's womb. He says, I'm talking about a spiritual birth. This is what the spirit brings is new life. And with that new life, there's this contrast to the old life. So look at the slide. The new life is life marked by the Spirit. It's life and peace. The old was death. The new life is freedom. The old is condemnation, judgment. The new life is a focus on God. The old life was we were focused on ourselves. The new life is we're submitted. There's a softness, a humbleness to our hearts, to God's leading, to his word, to his will. The, the old way is, man, don't tell me what to do. We're hostile to that. I, I'm going to run my own life. The new life lives to please God and does and is able to please God. The other's hostile, can't please God. So we've got new hearts. With that, verse five, we have new desires. We still struggle, chapter seven, but we don't want to, Paul says, I don't want to do these things. So I'm just so frustrated. I find myself not doing what I should and doing what I shouldn't, but I don't want to. I've got new desires. He's got a new heart. And then he talks about in verse 11 where we ended up. This new life, it gives us the promise of eternal life, that the same, God, I mean, think about this, the same Holy Spirit that sprung Christ from the dead is going to raise up our mortal bodies and give us resurrection bodies that you're never going to need to go to a doctor again. You're never going to get stuck with a needle again. You're never going to have to turn in a sand. There's never going to be a biopsy again. There's never going to be the word cancer again. And more importantly, there's not going to be any junk in my life called sin. Man, I can't wait. New life. And so we, we have the first parts of it, not, not the full. We don't have that resurrection body without sin, perfect like Jesus in his perfect humanity. We don't have that yet. But man, we got the down payment We are marked in him with a seal. It's like God's Sharpie pen. So you know, you know the things that you you put your name on things, right? With a Sharpie, because you know, I don't want anybody to rub, that's mine. Well, the spirit is God's Sharpie pen and he marks that we belong to him. That's awesome. And he's the down payment. 
of all that's coming down the road in our inheritance. So he gives life and the hope of eternal life. There's a second thing. If you're taking notes, it's freedom. It's huge. Freedom. Here's how he gives freedom. That some people call the the Holy Spirit the workhorse of, of the Trinity. And one of the primary things that the Holy Spirit is doing is he's applying the work of Christ to a believer's life. He's taking what Christ has done and he moves it forward to us so that becomes our experience. Christ died in our place. He extends his mercy to us so that he can extend forgiveness. And that forgiveness comes to us through the Holy Spirit at a heart level with these new hearts so that we're no longer under condemnation. That's the work of the Spirit. He not only brings God's forgiveness, but he brings Christ's righteousness where he lived perfectly before God and his neighbors, even his enemies. And he brings all that righteousness and he credits it to our account so that when God sees us, he sees Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's doing that. So that all the promises of the gospel are in a sense provided and supplied by the Spirit. So to freedom. He frees us from what? From condemnation, from judgment. We we don't have to live guilty lies over what we've done. He frees us from that. We don't have to, to, to be slaves anymore, he says, to keeping the law, to living this moral, impeccable life where we do everything perfect, which we know we can't, but we try, and he's, saved, he's, he's freed us from that. He's freed us from religion. He's bringing us into a relationship. He says, you're no longer slaves. I'm freeing you from the slavery of the law that you cannot keep, that only condemns you. And I'm making you kids. So look down at verse 15. He talks about our adoption and the work of the Spirit in that. Verse 15, you there? The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God gets better. And co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So the spirit makes us what? Kids, children, daughters, sons. Where were we? We were slaves. We were slaves to our own selfish desires and we were slaves to an impossible task of keeping the law so that we could be made right with God because we, no problem with the law. The problem is us. We can't keep the law. Can't do it. We cannot perfectly love God and perfectly love our neighbor. And so he, he makes us kids. And he talks about adoption and the fear that we once had trying to please a holy God and wondering if he's going to squash us has been replaced by his love. And, and we've been, ado- he's adopted us like we're rebels. He should have put us away, but he reached out in his grace and mercy. He says, I want you to be in a relationship. I'm freeing you from religion and religiosity and trying to live a morally impeccable life and I've given you my grace and I'm calling you my daughter, my son and out of my love I'm bringing you into a relationship that is so close that we call God Abba 
Remind my little Henry. So little Henry's coming up to his second birthday. And you know, it's so funny now. I didn't know he had to do this, but Lori and I had to have this conversation like, what are, what are we going to have the grandkids call us? Like, I, I didn't know you decided that. But man, there's all kinds of names out there I discern. So Lori and I were pretty complicated people. We went, how about grandma and grandpa? <laughs> so, you know, little Henry, all he can get out is Baba. I love it. I love it. Every time he sees me on FaceTime, he just lights him. He goes, Baba, Baba. So Abba is Aramaic, not for grandpa, but for, for daddy. So think of the little baby going, Dada, Mama, Dada, Abba. And this is, what is he talking about? He's talking about our relationship with Almighty God who's always existed, who created this world, who holds it in place, who is the righteous judge over all things, and he reveals himself to us as a father, and the Spirit brings us into this relationship as it applies the work of Christ to a believer's life so that we have this close, intimate relationship that we were made for. I know that about you. You long, we long for intimacy to be known and loved for who we are, for who we are. And we have that through the Spirit. And he says, more than that, I'm going to give you something better than just the knowledge of that. He says, my spirit is going to testify with your spirit. Now we go from objective truth. You are a child of God through faith in Christ and the work of the spirit in your life. And now the spirit comes and he gives a subjective testimony, it says, so that the spirit of God testifies with my spirit, whether I'm 6, 16, or 96, that I'm his kid. And I know it at a heart level. And nobody can tell me that. Nobody can take it away. I know it. Because the Spirit of God is whispering to me, you belong to me. I love you. You're my son. You're my child. You're my daughter. That is powerful. That is foundational for great security in a person's life. That we are sons and daughters of Almighty God who loves us and proved it in giving his life for us. He gives life. He gives freedom. There's a third. He gives direction. So what's complex right now? What are the things that you've been thinking about? What are the things you got a piece of paper and you went pro and you went con? And you've been talking to your friends, your spouse, your parents. What are the things that you're trying to sort out in your life? Here's one of the beautiful things is we can go to the Holy Spirit for direction. That's one of the things the Spirit does. Look at verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. He gives guidance. He gives direction. And the Spirit gives direction by leading us in the truth. This is exactly what Jesus said. So that we can honor him in all that we do. Look at John 16 up on the slide, verse 13. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. He is the spirit of truth and he will guide you not into most of it, but to all of it. Now, before we get into that whole thing of the spirit leading, guiding us, I want you to notice this little thing. 
And it says the spirit will always work for the glory of Christ. So here's the metaphor. Here's the image I want you to have. So think um, a theater, a dark theater, a performance, and you're on the spotlight. And your job is to keep the spotlight always on the lead character who is Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. He is always following Jesus. He is always shining the light. So, so just note to self, the true mark of someone who is filled with the Spirit is always pointing people to Jesus, not to themselves. It's not about any of their gifts. It's not any of the spectacular things that sometimes the Spirit allows us to do. The glory always goes to Christ. That's the role of the Spirit, is to make much of Christ. Now, about this leading us in truth. He's leading us in truth by always constantly reminding us of the truth of God's word. Jesus says, Father, sanctify them in truth, meaning set apart, make them more and more like me by your truth. And then he says, your word is truth. So one of the things that happens with the Holy Spirit is we divide camps. So like there's a bunch of people in churches like, man, we love the Holy Spirit. Praise Jesus. And we're into the Spirit. Spirit, Spirit, Spirit. Then there's these people over here. We're word people. You guys are freaking me out. Like, can we just stick to the Bible already? So here's the deal. We have this, this bifurcation that is not biblical. We're dividing these things. This is, there is no division. The word and spirit always go together. Think about it. It's the spirit that worked in the authors of the Bible to give us God's word. It's the spirit that illumines us and guides us into the truth so that we can live our lives according to the truth. The sword of the spirit in Ephesians 6, the only weapon that's offensive in our spiritual battle is called the word of God. So the way the Spirit leads us is through the truth of God's Word. Meaning, He's never going to ask us to do anything that contradicts what? You are listening. Good. The Word of God. But here's what we do. Oh, man, we're like really good. All of a sudden, we go, I got this like Spirit trump card. It's really cool. And so the Spirit told me X, Y, and Z. And actually what you're doing is you're following your own desires, but you're sanctifying and making it all pretty by stamping it with the Spirit. When actually that could be contrary to the clear teaching of God's Word. Do you get what I'm saying? The Spirit is always aligned with the Word as He leads us in truth. Leading us in truth means at times He's going to convict us, sounding the alarm of our conscience, assuming we haven't seared our conscience by continually refusing the Spirit's convicting work. He will correct us and train us and equip us to live rightly before God and others. At times, he's going to remind us of the truth. He's going to convince us again that we belong, that we're forgiven. And at times, he's going to nudge us. And there's not going to be a Bible verse to it. That happened years ago. I was at an intersection. It was late after a long day. Three blocks ahead of me was my home. Three blocks to the right was the hospital. And the spirit was nudging me. You need to go visit. There was somebody who was in our church who was really sick. 
man, it's 8.30 at night. Lori's got five kids at home. I'm tired. And so I said, Lord, I'm just going to do it in the morning. You know where this is going. That person died that night. And I, I was nudged. I was led by the Spirit, and, and I, didn't, I didn't follow that. So the Spirit is leading us. He's guiding us. There's going to be times um, where, you know, so the, let me just say this. So the majority, and the, the easiest way to say, the, the most profound way that the Spirit leads us every day is through the Word of God. Like, no questions asked. After that, we're not always sure, all right? But there's going to be times when we're in step with the Spirit and sensitive to the Spirit where God's going to bring something to your mind. And then we're going to act on that. It might be someone. And it maybe happened to you. Where, you know, I've been thinking about you. How are you doing? Well, interesting that you call because my life stinks right now. It's really hard. That, that's the Spirit's leading in our life, including some of the complex things that we're making decisions about. The Spirit is going to give you a sense of peace. If you don't have a yes or no from God's Word, then you just you follow the Spirit as you follow the counsel of other godly people. Okay, I'm going to do that. All right, so life, freedom, direction. The, last, the, the fourth one here is help, verse 17. He helps us in tough times. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Oh, man, I forgot to say this. So have you caught up with co-heirs of Christ? So how many sons does God have? Answer, one. So if Jesus is God's only heir, how much does he get? Some of it? 25% of it? All of it. If we're co-heirs with Jesus, what do we get? All of it. This is amazing. We get it all. We get it all. So, but he says, a child doesn't just get it all, which will all fully be ours in it when Christ comes back, but we're also going to get sufferings. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. In other words, children of God will suffer. What did Jesus say? In this world, you might have, no, he didn't say mine. John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. And the Holy Spirit is there to help us in trouble. So that he says in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then he uses this metaphor of the world and creation groaning and of people moaning and groaning over the brokenness and the, and the twistedness of this world that has been decimated because we didn't want to live under God's rule. We wanted to be our own rulers and we jacked it all up. And so he's talking about all the brokenness in this world and, th- and because there's brokenness in this world, there is suffering in this world. There won't be suffering. No more sadness, sickness, crying, mourning, death in the new heaven, new earth. But here's suffering. Here's suffering. And the Holy Spirit's role is to help us in our suffering. Now, before we get into the ways he helps us, I want to say a couple things. The first is, understand that the Christian life and having the Spirit in our life doesn't give us a pass on hard things. There are some camps that will take the promises of heaven and they'll export them to today, and they'll get us to think, that should be our experience today. Jesus is clear. You're going to bear my cross today. One day you will share the crown. 
But right now it's cross time. It's not crown time yet. You will suffer. A believer who is filled with the Spirit has a theology of suffering. And listen to what he says about suffering in Romans chapter 5. Verse 2, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so he's saying, expect suffering The Spirit's going to help you in suffering and he's going to use suffering to make you more like Jesus. Perseverance to character, to hope, to no shame. So what does the help look like? Go back to verse 26 or down to 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. So the context is suffering in hard times. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That is our wordless groans. We can't even articulate the pain, the request. And he takes that. He who searches our hearts, God, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people. How? In accordance with the will of God. So he helps us in our weakness from whatever it is, wherever it comes from. He's there as our helper. He's right at our side. The the word that, that Jesus uses for Holy Spirit sometimes it's translated advocate, means uh, literally in the Greek, called alongside one. A paraclete, a called alongside one. He's alongside of us, walking through life with us. And one of his functions is to help us when it's hard. And how does he help us? He prays for us. Who does he pray to? He prays to the Father. What does he bring to the Father? He brings our groaning... It's such hard things and so much pain and we've been there and all we can do is groan and moan and sigh and ugh. And he takes that and he says, Father, here's what's going on in Mark's life. But he doesn't just take our groans. He's praying for us according to, what does it say? Did you see it there? According to the will, not my will, but the will of the Father. Romans 12 verse 2. That will is described as good and pleasing and perfect. So have you ever had somebody, not like in a weird way, go, I've been praying for you, but like in a really like, they're your friend and they go, man, I've been praying for you. That's like one of the coolest things that happens as a pastor. Someone comes up to me and they go, pastor, I pray for you every day. And I always say the same thing. And I'm so humbled. I always say, thank you so much. And please don't stop. And it's such, it's such an awesome thing to know of people that would care enough to pray for you. So now get this. The Holy Spirit, when we were sleeping tonight, through every minute of this day, because he's God, can pray for all of us at the same time, according to God's will, can take all of our moans and groans and all the, the, the heart cries of our, of our broken world and our broken hearts, can take it all to the Father, and he's doing that constantly. He's for us. He's not just in us. He's, he's praying for us, for God's will to be done. And that gives us an amazing confidence when it's hard. That's exactly where he goes next. Look at verse 28. Probably the most famous of the verses here in this chapter. And we know that in all things, because of the Spirit, right? 
In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Let me just say what he doesn't say. He didn't say, and we know that all things are good. Didn't say that. Here's what we know through the Spirit from verse 28. God is at work in our lives. God works for the good of his children, for those who love him and called according to his purpose. And God works all things, not most things, not just on Sundays, not just when we've been really, really good. He works all things for our good. So think about the hard thing right now in your life. What is it? I love it that some of us right now are going, I don't have something. That's awesome, man. We are so happy for you. But you know somebody, and it won't take long in this world to have something hard. What, what is that hard thing? And do we actually trust that God and Christ and the Spirit could work it for our good? Have any of you, are any of you going, honestly, <laughs> I've been trying to work it out. I can't see it. I cannot see it. I remember my friend Andrew Chung, pancreatic cancer, and he, he just this godly man, and, and he was just crying, God, why? I, why all this pain? Why all this pain? Here, here's what I know. The only way I get close to working it out is I just go back to the cross. And I remember that's the worst thing, the hardest thing that's ever happened. When the innocent son of God was crucified on a Roman, you know, torture device, the cross. And I know that's the best thing that ever happened in human history was when Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. So if it's true on the cross and of the cross, then I can have hope that what is hard right now could work out for good that good and hard for the Christian can actually come together. It's not that it is good, but that he'd work out good in the midst of the agony. So verse 29 makes it clear that although we can, you know, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 Although we can make a decision for Christ, Romans 8, 29 reminds us that long before we were ever thinking about God, reaching out to God, God was thinking about us. God was extending his grace and mercy towards us. Look at verse 29. For those God foreknew, knew beforehand, he also predestined, he also chose, for what reason? To be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. The last thing the Holy Spirit does is he brings a growing Christ-likeness into our life. He shapes us. He is, he is eternally committed to making you a better man, a better husband, a better woman, a better student. The Holy Spirit is committed to our being conformed to the image of Christ. So like a sculptor, he's chipping away at everything that isn't Jesus in my life. Sometimes that's really painful. Sometimes that's really humbling. Sometimes he's using hard forces like suffering 
to drive us to Christ and make us more like Christ. That's his commitment to make us more like Christ. So that one day when Jesus comes back, that deposit that guarantees the the full inheritance will be ours. Because God is committed. Paul said it. I'm confident it's the very thing. He who began the good work will complete it. And that's the Holy Spirit making us more and more like Christ. So that one day, we will be like Jesus in his perfect humanity. Perfect bodies, no more sin. We will serve God, live with God in the new heaven and the new earth. And until then, we reach out for the Spirit. And we are in step with the Spirit. So, what does that look like? What does it look like? Are we connected? Because I've got this funny thing going on right now with my charger for my phone in the car. So, you know, it goes in that little cigarette lighter thing, right? And when you seat it, when you push it in, and it's ready to charge your phone, there's a red light. Do you got one of those? And it just cir- it circles around, you know, and it says, I got power, but I don't. It's driving me crazy. Every time I plug in my phone, it goes from 2% to 2%. There is no power. It looks like there's power. We go, well, I'm in Christ, so I got the spirit. So I got, I got the red light, right? Just maybe, maybe. So let's just, let's just unpack this clearly. How, how do I know I'm living in accordance with the spirit? That's the language of chapter eight. How do I know I'm being filled with the Spirit, or I'm full of the Spirit, Ephesians 5. How do I know I'm keeping in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5.25? Well, the first thing is, am I in Christ? Have I placed my faith in Christ? There is no Spirit in us if we haven't placed our faith in Christ. Make sense? So if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, if you have nothing, you have no place to go with your guilt, you haven't experienced life and peace, you haven't been freed from condemnation, whether it's your own moral code or God's moral code, if you haven't received that, well, then that's your first step. That, that you would respond to God's invitation. Not, not to be part of an army, but to be his family, his child. To have a close personal relationship. Peter put it this way to the crowds in Jerusalem the day that the Spirit was poured out on all God's people in fulfillment to the prophets like Joel. He says this, Acts 2.38, repent, which is kind of a big biblical word we don't use. It means turn around, stop living for yourself, and now focus and trust Christ. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit. To faith in Christ. Have you done that? Why would you go another day? Why would you go another day? Not tapped into God's love and his power and his mercy and his grace and his, his guidance. Man, there is no reason for you to hit the pillow this night without knowing for sure like that, that you could actually go, that's what's happening. In my heart of hearts, the spirit of God has, has taken residence in letting me know I'm his child. I didn't do anything. I just reached out to Jesus. It's my only hope. Do it today. The second is, you know, how do we know if we're in step? 
man, there's this haunting question that this guy, Dave Busby, asked a group of pastors. I'd never heard it before. I've never heard it since. He asked this question to his pastors. He said, hey, pastors, if the Holy Spirit checked out of your ministry, would anybody notice? It's like, dude, that was like, whoa. If the Holy Spirit checked out of our life, would anything be different? Because what the Bible tells us is we fundamentally need to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Tony Campala tells this funny story about this lady in church. Every week in church, she says out loud to the whole congregation and to God, Jesus, fill me with your Spirit. This went on week after week after week. Finally, after like the 18th time, a guy in the back says, don't do it, Lord. She leaks. <laughs> well, apparently, apparently, he was right, and he didn't know that he leaks too. And actually, the language in Ephesians 5.18 goes like this. Keep on being filled. Present active participle. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. That we leak. We're more like sieves, right? So we're not yet fully conformed to Christ. And so there's this, there, you know, this, the Spirit can just kind of just diminish in my life. And, and here's the deal. You will be full. You will live life full. It's either going to be full of, your, of his spirit or full of yourself. And what I know is, when I'm not filled with the spirit, it doesn't go well. Because one of the marks of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, the fruit of the spirit. Jesus says, you're going to know the tree by the fruit. Well, duh, like an apple, that's an apple tree. Well, a life in the spirit, a life that is following Jesus isn't just apples and oranges. It's like all of that. So how do you know you're filled with the fruit of the spirit? Well, uh, you're filled with the spirit. We got the fruit. You got the freedom, what he's been talking about, the confidence, the security, the close personal relationship that's growing, spiritual progress, driving motivation to please him. A, a commitment, he calls it an obligation to turn away from the old desires. All these things are ours. Are we in step with the Spirit? Are we operating in the fullness of the Spirit? And guys, all I can say is I know this teaching, but it's just really easy to just operate in the fullness of Mark. And there's a huge difference. I am, when, I'm, when I'm functioning out of the fullness of Mark, everything's upside down. It's, Jesus isn't in the spotlight anymore. I'm in the spotlight. I'm not positioned to serve and give my life away like Jesus. And in doing that fine fullness in life, man, I need, I need, I need. It's about me. It gets ugly really quick. Whether it manifests externally or not, it gets ugly in here really quick. We're going to be filled with something. We're filled with something right now. May it be with the life-giving, freeing power that directs us and helps us and makes us more like Christ, even the Spirit of God. Amen? So how do we do that? What does it look like? How can I operate in the fullness of the Spirit? It's pretty basic. Prayer. I pray. Jesus, fill me with your Spirit. Man, I want there to be an overflow so they keep running into you and not me. It's going to be a better day for everybody. Fill me with your spirit. I'm praying that. 
I'm getting filled with the word of God. Why? Because the spirit and the word always go together. You know what the parallel passage to Ephesians 5, 18 is that says keep on being filled with the spirit? The parallel passage is Colossians 3, 16. Go compare the two passages and you go, holy cow, it's the same thing. Except the difference is not be filled with the spirit, but let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You want to be filled with the spirit? You want to have the fullness, keep in step with the spirit? Be in the word of God. Pray, be in the word of God and then just be, be listening. So here's my challenge. For you, you guys that are introverts and love quiet and space, this is like a duh, like this is so lame. But for the rest of us who like freak out and stuff like that, here's my challenge. Just wherever we're traveling, whenever we're traveling in the car, just try it this week. No radio, no phone. Just give yourself just a little window margin of quiet to hear God's spirit. We already have been told he speaks to our heart that we belong. He leads us in truth. Do we believe that he actually could lead us in truth this week? That he could actually give you some clarity for that relationship that is so broken and hard right now, for that business decision, for that financial decision, for that help decision. Do we actually believe that God is for us and with us and in us by his spirit and actually has everything that we need for today and tomorrow and every day next week? So that's my challenge. Don't turn the radio on. Listen. And don't be surprised that you meet up with the Spirit of Christ who pours out God's love and direction in our hearts. Let's pray. So Father God, we thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus, your Spirit. We are so grateful we live in a day not where certain people have it for certain times and certain functions, but we get it every day. You've marked us with your spirit. We belong to you. You're our Abba Father. And we don't deserve any of it. And so Lord Jesus, fill us so that more of that love and joy and peace and patience, more of Christ just flows from our life. For your honor, but for the good of the world that you've called us to serve. Strengthen us as we struggle, so many of us with insecurity to be grounded in the truth that we belong to you, been adopted as kids. And Lord, may we keep you at the center of our lives and keep pointing people to you as we keep in step with your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. God's people said, amen.